So, this past week, early in the week, the big deal was this something from the Department of Homeland Security and some type of disinformation bureau that they're putting together. And what's the point of that? The point of that is to uh, control the flow of information, make sure the information is correct. Very interesting, isn't it? It's headed by a woman. She's the one who's going to control the flow of disinformation. It's going to be headed by a woman who believed that, the, if you pay attention to these things, that the now falsified steel dossier, totally bogus, she believed it was true and she pushed that publicly. And um, uh, she is just on record for some things that clearly it's not about getting truth out there. It is about controlling a narrative. And now we have this whole new administration area, which is just, it was in the news, big deal early on, and, uh, or early on in the week. Now, in order to fend that off, because that's coming from one side of a political aisle, in order to fend that off, we've got uh, a new social media platform being formed called Truth Social, which Donald Trump is putting out there. And then, of course, the news has, has intrigued us over the last couple of weeks that a guy by the name of Elon Musk, richest man in the world, bought Twitter, Twitter, of course, was controlling the narrative over the course of the last couple of years, keeping the president himself off, even though, the, uh, even though the, um, our enemies in Iran and the imams and things like that, they get to be on, but not our own president. Nope, he can't be on Twitter because he's dangerous. And the control of information on that. And Elon Musk is saying he just wants to open it up. He's going to irritate both liberals and conservatives because he wants it to be a place of free speech where the, where the narrative is not controlled. But people get to say what they want to say. And when that was heard about, okay, somebody's got to put out a narrative contrary to Elon Musk. So this guy, he's, you know, you've, you've seen the footage on this, perhaps the guy, he's worried He's worried now with Elon Musk buying Twitter that somebody's going to be able to turn the algorithms on how Twitter works so that some things will be emphasized and get through and other things will be silenced. And of course, America laughs at him because that's what they just did in the previous election to push it in one direction. What do you mean? You say that like that's something new. That's why you know, people are up in arms that you have, you have controlled the narrative in a way that has not been fair. It has not been just. So that's it. This is, what's, this is what's going on. And I wonder in this Bureau of Disinformation, I, just ha I, I do find myself wondering if they're going to tackle this one little phrase, student loan forgiveness. Just the phrase. That's all. Is it really student loan forgiveness? No, it's student loan transference. They're going to move the debt load from these students onto other people. People who never went to college don't intend to go to college. Or people like my wife and I who went to college, paid ours, helped our kids pay theirs, and now we're supposed to pay for somebody else's kids. But we call this forgiveness. No, it isn't. It's transference. Is this place going to say, oh wait, we can't use that language anymore because that's disinformation. It's not being forgiven, it's being transferred. I have a feeling they're not going to do that, but that's just a guess on my part. Just this week, now new stuff is in play. There's a video out called 2,000 Mules. 2,000 Mules is intended, it's by Dinesh D'Souza and True the Vote, it's intended to point out, and somebody's referred to, this is the smoking gun about the 2020 election. Very clear is what they're saying. That's their narrative. I don't know, haven't seen it, I have no opinion on it. Um, but... <clears throat> It's going to, it, the, the point of this is to show 
by video. People who have, were in the middle of the night going to Dropbox to Dropbox to Dropbox to push votes in a particular direction, which could have clearly affected the outcome of the election. Now, we may not be on YouTube anymore if that gets out there that I said that. I don't know. They may say, well, you can't say that. And then, of course, the big, big thing that came out this week when somebody decided to blow up all the years of how the Supreme Court was managed by leaking a decision which had not yet been put out. Huge. What was the point of that? Control the narrative. That's what they're trying to do. Trying to get everybody up in arms about the Roe v. Wade decision. They're twisting what it means and they're just trying to get somehow either the Supreme Court to change the decision that it might be going in or to stir everybody up for an election coming in six months. But the whole point of what I'm trying to say is, you're familiar, you've watched it, that whoever controls the narrative controls the outcome. And we've been saying that here for years. Well, as we come back to the book of Romans, remember that's what we're in, we're in the book of Romans, I think it's legitimate to say that, honestly, as we come to Romans chapter 4, Paul, he's trying to control the narrative in order to control the outcome. The narrative of the outcome of the gospel that he wants to bring to the Romans. Because he knows things can get kittywampus with the things that he is saying and that he intends to bring to them. First of all, we pointed out last week, it's politically dangerous for him to do the things he's doing. He knows because people have been put to death to say the things he's saying. And he was putting them to death before the risen Christ got hold of his life. So he knows that it's politically dangerous, but I think more his concern is that it's spiritually dangerous. That people are going to foist lies about what it is relative to the truth that is embedded in the gospel, that is the gospel. And the evil one is not going to allow for that to happen readily. And so there are going to be lies that are going to throw people off spiritually. So it's both politically dangerous, he could die, and he will in fact, and spiritually dangerous is that the evil one is trying to shut down the promotion of the gospel. Now, we're in chapter 4. We got to chapter 4 by just the briefest of reviews now. Chapter 1, he referenced justification by faith for the first time. And we said he's going to come back to it. And he came back to it near the end of chapter 3, which we will look at today again. And then after having put forth this concept of justification by faith, which he says is at the heart of the gospel, and which he then puts in the, the most dense, packed theology, theological statement in Romans 3, verses about 20 to 26, it is so dense in there with truth, but he puts it all in there tightly. He then asks this question, in light of this doctrine of justification by faith, which he's unfolding now, he says, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And here's where we kind of jokingly said, it's like we're now moving out across the plains of Illinois. Because for the entire chapter 4, he's going to be trying to control that narrative and to remind us 
that what he's saying is not in conflict with the Old Testament. And the two words that we have given are it's in continuity with the Old Testament, that it's, it's in historical accord, and congruity in that it is within theological accord. And you'll see that theology um, perhaps a little fuller today. But we said he says four things, four things to support his position as he tries to control the narrative and he comes up with this thing of justification by faith and people are pulling their hair out saying, you can't say that. He's like, hang on, hang on, don't go crazy with, with the mobs. And let me tell you why, this is absolutely okay. First thing that he said was justification by faith establishes the law by glorifying God who alone is worthy of glory. We looked at that last week. If you don't understand what I'm saying, go back to last week's message. It's there. Today, he's going to get into the second part of his discussion of four. Justification by faith establishes the law. Because remember, that's the question. Do we make void the law? No, we establish it. It establishes the law by blessing sinners as even David described. Sinners could be blessed. And he says this in Romans 4 verse 5. But to him who does not work, remember this is a righteousness without the law. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. In verse 7, he says, Blessed are those, he's quoting Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. That's the psalm I read at the beginning of this service. Psalm 32. And what I would like to do, I, have, I, have, I could not come up with any way visually that I could make this easy, and I knew we were going to be pressed for time. So I'm just going to run through something. You're not going to see anything coming up on the screens. We're going to have to do that old-fashioned thing called listening and thinking. And hopefully you'll stay with me on it, and I'll try and keep it as simple as possible. But let me refresh you on what that compact, dense passage was where he now moved into justification by faith. It went like this, and I'm repeating it intentionally. One, to get it fresh before our eyes here. Two, I am hoping these things, I've told you this, you'll begin to memorize some of these things. That you will have heard them so much, you'll go, yeah, I'm familiar with that. But now, Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So it's still in accord with them. They, they're witnessing to it. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's cram-packed with truth. When we got to that, we, wrote, we broke out at one point, we broke out five different theological words that we need to understand to get that. You can go back and look at that one as well if you don't get it. But let's, let's just note, here's all that I want to do. Psalm 32, which we read, is poetry. The Psalms are poems. It's Hebrew poetry. Here, Romans 
3, 21 to 26 is theology. Solid, powerful theology. All that I want to do is compare the two. Because what is, what is Paul saying about this theology? It is in these verses he introduces the question of justification by faith. And then he says, his second point that he makes is, by the way, what I'm telling you here about people being justified without being good enough, without keeping the works of the law, because they can't, he said, this is in accord with what David said. David said it back in Psalm 32. And I'm just going to just make some quick comparisons. And because they're not one coming in parallel, I don't know where to go with it in terms of making it visually easy. So if you'll take my word for it, if you have a Bible with you and you want to mark it and go, okay, here's the things. But just, just notice this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. This is 32.1 now. I'm going to step away from our text because it leads us into this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The people, he says, the one who is blessed is the one who has been forgiven. The ones whose sin has been dealt with. The one who can stand before God and proclaim that I am I'm forgiven. I'm not having anything held against me. That's what Psalm 32 David wrote. And here's what Romans 3 Paul wrote. Being justified freely by His grace. The same thing. It's not as if we weren't sinners. In each case, we're dealing with sinful people. But Paul is saying, just like David said, even though we're sinners, there's a place of forgiveness that God offers. There's a means of forgiveness that God offers. And it's apart from keeping the law, doing the works, being good enough. It comes through in an entirely different way. Psalm 32 goes on to say at the end of verse 2, And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. David is saying, there was that time in my life when as a sinner, I knew something had gone terribly, terribly wrong. And I knew I was guilty before a holy and righteous God. And as I tried to hide from that, as I tried to dismiss it, as I tried to come up with different ways to try and push down the guilt that I was feeling, the shame that I was feeling, that sense of, I know that I have done something wrong, but I don't want to have to admit it. When I lived in that place, when I kept silent, when I did not Bring this before the Lord. My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I couldn't get away from the burden of guilt. I knew something was wrong. And I just stayed silent. And internally, it was eating me up. And in Romans 3, verse 23, as he remains in accord with what David said, Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all shared in David's experience of sin, in David's experience of guilt, in David's experience of the burden that that should not have happened. 
So he remains in accord with David. Remember what he's do, what he's the the argument he's making to protect his narrative. It's in accord with the Old Testament, just as David said. So a little further on in Psalm 32, David said this: "I acknowledged my sin to you." Once he, you know, trying to keep it down. Nope, he turned from that. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I will confess. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. David said, I found something of some kind of peace when I confessed this sin and I brought it to you because I knew it's real and it's eating me up internally and and it isn't working to try and ignore it, to act like it's not there. It isn't working. And notice in this compact passage we have in Romans 3, Paul describes those who have faith, who through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, the righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, again, he mentions that God set forth uh, His Son to be a propitiation through His blood. Through faith, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to turn to the Lord or we're going to have to trust Him. And he ended this magnificent passage by saying that God was demonstrating His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So David turned back to the Lord, confessed his sin and said, i got a problem, Lord, and I'm pretty certain you're the only one who can solve it. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in this very dense passage in Romans 3. Our only hope is to confess our sin. It's it, the, the relief, the freedom, the escape from this thing that just tears us up inside is to confess it before the Lord and put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And there we can find freedom. There we can find deliverance. And David said I, in verse 5, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. And Paul said, not by works of righteousness, not by the good things we've done, but because we confessed our sin that God has passed over the sins. See, God deals with them. God has a method in place to deal with them. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ. It's true for David as it is for us. David looked forward to it. We look back to it. But God has a method, a thing in place, a plan, a redemption, a deliverance, a forgiveness. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. He forgave it. And the last thing that I just want to note, he says, goes on in chapter 3, Psalm 32, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. And you'll notice if you, if you remember what we had read earlier, he was, Paul was describing even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. To all and on all. David said, everyone who is righteous will turn to you. This is available to everybody. It was in David's day. It is in our day. Do you see the accord? Do you see how this carries with it both continuity in that it's in historical accord with what was going on in the Old Testament. It has congruity in that it's in theological accord that God provides the way for forgiveness for sin that is absolutely very real and that absolutely every one of us has experienced. So there we are.
Moms, I'm going to talk to you for a couple minutes because, Mom, I want you to leave in here today with joy and freedom and blessedness and goodness and a wonder as to who our God is and how He's dealt with you. It pertains to the men who are here. It pertains to the kids who are here. It pertains to everybody else as well. But today's Mother's Day. And I want moms to leave here with a real wonderful sense of the freedom that David described, that Paul quoted. Blessed is he, or we'll say she for this, because we're talking to moms, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the woman to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And we know for David... And for Paul, it was a righteousness that God gives if we will turn to Him. Bring it before Him and confess it. Now, I wrote this down during one of the songs. How I totally convinced God leads Amber Morstead in, by the Spirit in the, the songs that are selected for her to sing because time and time and time again, they relate exactly to what it is we are going to be thinking about but we read, we sang in one of those songs earlier this part of a phrase When condemnation grips my heart and Satan tempts me to despair. And moms, you've been there. We all have, but I'm talking to moms right now. As this is Mother's Day, and you're one of two ways you might be thinking about it. You might be thinking about the job you did as a mom and. And, and, you know, I, did I do my best? Did I, did I give my best? Did I, did I do okay? But you also might be looking at your own mom and going, man, I wasn't very kind to my mom. I, I, I really didn't give her the respect, the honor that the Bible says that I should have given her. And maybe she's left you and things were not repaired. I don't know. But I only know, moms, that you have shared in as we all have at times, a sense of guilt, a sense of, huh, that didn't go as well as I would have liked. And what I'm concerned about is that this is exactly the point where the evil one is going to want to take and grind that on you and grind that on you and grind that on you. That's why this jumped out of this pass, out of this song. When condemnation grips my heart and Satan tempts me to despair, the evil one is going to want you to get through Mother's Day feeling defeated yet again. One more day of defeat. One more day of you didn't quite measure up. One more day of things didn't go right. One more day when you couldn't quite get that thing that David said was just gnawing away inside of him and just, just, just you know, bringing pain to his bones kind of thing. Moms, the evil one wants to keep you right in that spot. Wants to tempt you to despair. It'll never be better than it is right now. And what I am wanting to suggest to you is today's the day, moms, to get free. Today is the day to quit believing what the evil one is telling you about whatever that thing is in your life that is a day-by-day -day burden where you feel guilty, you feel overwhelmed, you feel like you're always going to fail. Here's just five questions came to my mind, and I'm, I could become far more pointed with these, but I'm not going to because I don't know who it would, who it might hit that directly, and I, I, I don't want to go there. But how about this? Feel like you failed as a mom? Feel like you failed as a wife? Feel like you failed as a person? 
Feel like you failed as a daughter? Feel like you failed as a friend somewhere along the line on any of those things? As you hear that, there's that twinge of something that's real inside. Can I suggest this, dear women? Can I suggest this? Here's, as, as David wrote about it, okay? As David wrote about it, he, when he kept sowing, my, bilet, my, my bones grew old. He said, I, then he went on to say, and he said more than that, but he went on to say, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I have not hidden. I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Moms, hear me out. Here's the deal. That thing, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but some of you are carrying a burden today. That thing that brings that sense of guilt, that wears on your bones, that has never, you've never been able to you know, talk yourself out of it, talk yourself over it, uh, convince yourself it's okay, it just sits there. Here's where each of us needs to come. That you take that thing and you look at it in all of its ugliness and all of the disappointment it brings to your own heart about your life and, and maybe your own guilt. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you take that and you look it square in the eye and you say, I did that. I can't escape from it. I can't run from it. I can't change it. I can't help at this point the degree of the, of the wounds it inflicted upon others. I did it. Here it is. All my sin. And I look at it for all of its ugliness. And then mommy say, and I take it. And I give it to you, Father. And I place it at the foot of the cross where Christ died for it. And that despite how ugly it is and how horrible it is, you promise me that I can be forgiven. You promise me that I can be declared righteous despite what is right here, Father. Please, you take it. You have made the provision. And moms, you leave it there. Satan's going to want to have you walk away and pick it up again when you go. And every time you hear his voice saying how terrible you are because of that, you bring it right back to the cross. You say, no, I left it here and I'm keeping it here. Because moms, it's the only place that we can know for sure that those things we're so disappointed in ourselves with, it's the only place we can bring them and know they've been taken care of for all eternity. And God writes over us, declared righteous because of what Christ has done. We don't deny that we did them. We take the fullness of what they are and we bring them to the Lord and say, God, that should not have happened. It did. I'm owning it and I'm asking you to forgive me for it because of what Christ has done. And moms, that's where David is able to say, blessed is she whose transgression is forgiven. Because he describes the journey of somebody who has brought full confession before the Lord and finally left that burden go. Finally let it get out of there. Finally dealt with it. So I'm going to pray for you now. And uh, the point here is joy. 
The point here, friends, is not to make you feel bad. The point here is to encourage you to leave that burden that you've been carrying for so many years and leave it at the cross of Jesus Christ because there you are forgiven and there there is an answer to the problem. And when you walk away from there, you can walk away with joy because it's been dealt with and it's done. Father, thank you for these precious moms who are here today. Lord, they are in a spiritual battle. We all are, Father, but today we're thinking about moms. They're in a spiritual battle, Lord, and life has thrown many curves at them. Life has offered them many, many opportunities to be discouraged. And Lord, some of the moms here today, they're burdened with places where they feel like they have failed oh so terribly. And they've been living with that burden internally for year after year after year, Lord. And they don't know how to how to have it unloaded from them. They don't know how to be free of it. And Father, I pray that this magnificent truth that Paul is describing and how it's in accord with the Old Testament, as David had described it, that there is a blessing, there's a happiness, there's a joy to the person to whom you do not count their sin against them because you have provided a way for that very sin to be forgiven, to be covered. And you are able to declare them as righteous because the righteousness of Christ has been given to them. And Father, I pray that every mom who is here, if there's any burden of guilt in her heart, that now will be the time when she says, Lord, I'm taking this whole mess. It shouldn't happen, Lord. I shouldn't have done that. And I'm handing it to you. And I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is my only hope. And Father, that you will set every mom free here today. That joy will fill their hearts as they leave this service. In Jesus' name, amen.